Um, good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming up here. So, uh, how do we get clean? How do we clean our hands? How do we clean our hands? What are things we can do to clean our hands? Like, you come in from outside, and they got dirt on them. What do we do? Do you guys not clean your hands? <laughs> That's good. Well, what's this? Water, so we can wash them with water, maybe soap, right? Or something we've seen a lot over in the last two years, what's this stuff? Hand sanitizer, you guys know that big word, that's good. Um, yeah, we can clean our hands. It's very important to clean our hands, right? Before we eat or you know, before we like, shake someone's hand or go somewhere. Um, so we wanna have you know, our hands clean, but when we come to God's house, we realize we need something else clean. The psalmist said, create in me a pure heart, O God. So not only that our outsides are clean, because we can take a bath or a shower, you know, and, and get clean, but to clean our hearts. Who cleans our hearts? Who cleans our hearts? Jason? Jesus does. Can you point to something in church that would show us a way that Jesus cleans our hearts? Okay, and you guys can do it too. So point to something that shows that Jesus cleans our hearts. So, all right, some people are pointing at the baptismal font. Do you guys see the baptismal font? We're baptized, right? So God cleans our hearts that way. He gives us everything that Jesus has done for us. He robes us in Christ's righteousness. Some, some people pointed to the, to what's Jesus carrying over there in the middle window? A cross. Why, what did he do at the cross? What did he do at the cross for us? Yeah, he died for us. And he, his blood shed to purify us from all sin, right? To cleanse us from our sin. And that's why we have the big empty cross back there to show us that Jesus did the work and it's done, and that our hearts are cleansed in him. And he feeds us with God's word, as we hear God's word in the children's message. Professor Balgi over there, you guys see Professor Balgi? He's going to preach in a little bit and share God's word with us, and the Holy Spirit grows our faith. And also, um, maybe moms and dads are going to partake of the Lord's Supper, where we receive a little bread and wine, but Jesus says, in the bread and wine, we also receive his body and blood for our forgiveness. Yeah, so that's really cool. So we thank, we're thankful for water. We're thankful for hand sanitizer to get our outsides clean. But we're thankful for Jesus who makes our hearts clean. So let's fold our hands and thank Jesus for that. Dear Jesus, thank you for all the gifts you give us. For family and friends, for medical care, for things that cleanse our body. But we thank you for cleansing our soul, for sending your Holy Spirit to create faith in our hearts, giving us a new person that loves you and loves your word and knows your forgiveness for us and that heaven is our home. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we give special attention as our sermon text, the Old Testament reading for this Sunday, selected verses from Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And we hear again verses 1 and 2, we hear verses 1 and 2, and the others will be shared as we go forward. Moses said, and Moses wrote, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. This is God's word. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, 
There are eras in human history that are so distinctive and, and so important that very often they're called chapters in history. And by that I don't mean the chapters in the history books, but simply that given section of time that has such importance to what follows, perhaps what encapsulates the past, that it's sometimes referred to as, as a chapter. And it's, it's such a chapter in history that we are at the end of as we consider these words of our God. This is the end of 40 years of leadership by God's representative, Moses, who had essentially been for the people of Israel, prophet, priest, and king, as he led them under God from slavery in Egypt to the threshold of the promised land. They were right there at the doorstep. And what we have before us is near the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, which itself marks this occasion, this end of this chapter in history, with Moses' farewell address to his people, or really a kind of farewell sermon, and, and really three sermons across that book of Deuteronomy with a final wrap-up of encouragement for the people as they would now go forward to take possession of the land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham. They were there at Canaan, and Joshua's faithful lieutenant, or Moses' faithful lieutenant Joshua, would now lead them in. And so it's a kind of, of farewell address. And as we consider these words early on, which are essentially kind of a theme for all that Moses was about to say, as we consider these words, we, we take to heart the encouragement that was there for the people of Israel long ago through Moses, and still for us through Moses, through God's Spirit and the inspired words that are written here. We consider this thought. Handle God's Word with care. Hold it tight. Hold it high. And hand it on. Moses, as he was speaking to these people, was speaking to people he, he knew very well. They had been with him a long time. Most of them had known only him. Recall that Everyone over the age of 20, nearly everyone who had left Egypt, would not be entering the promised land. God had brought their time on earth to an end during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Only a very few would go forward. Moses knew them well as, as they knew him. And so it was important to Moses as he spoke these words that he reflect that knowledge of those people that were such a part of him. As he said, now farewell. And knowing them so well, knowing himself so well, Moses, in three different places in these verses that are our text, encourages them to hold tight to that word of God because there had been occasions across that journey when they had, in a sense, lost their grip on that word. First, those three sections of our text where Moses says to them, hold on to it tight. What we heard, hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you, Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you. And further in, in the middle, observe them carefully. And near the end, only be careful and watch yourselves closely that so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Moses in this book that we call Deuteronomy, was reviewing for the people that history from Egypt to Canaan and all the ups and downs that had been part of that history, ups and downs that, well, paralleled very often the, 
the attitude of the people in that wilderness, at times their, their faith on fire for the word of the Lord that had rescued them from slavery and promised them through Abraham, really through Adam and Eve, a savior, but downs at times when they complained and grumbled, where they wondered whether God was, but they looked with envy at nations around them and adopted their habits and worse, their gods. Moses knew them well and encouraged them to hold on tight to what God was setting before them. And God was setting before them what had been there across those 40 years. A clear explanation of his moral law, how God would have people live with each other and with him, the true God. There was also for these people the ceremonial law, which governed so much of their daily life and especially their worship life, which is to say daily life and worship life were bound together as those rules and regulations that governed what they ate, what they wore, how they worshipped, when they worshipped, so on, on and on, reminded them especially of their need for a Savior, but in many ways also gave them little pictures across daily life of that Savior who was to come. And then there were basics of law that any group of people, large group of people like this nation, Israel, needed to stay in order and in, in good form as a people, as a nation. All of that was there, woven into this text as well, the review of their history. And so Moses said, hold on tight. Because he knew, they knew what had happened at different times across that history. They would be surrounded still in Canaan by people who were not people who followed the true God. Yes, they worshipped false gods, and in certain ways they were attractive to people because the worship of those false gods very often celebrated sin, made sin a, a, a sacrament among them. And so the sinful nature that inhabited Israel, every Israelite, including Moses, could see that as an attractive thing. There were times when Israel longed to just be like the other nations. And so as Moses put these things before them, reminded them of what God had said for them and what they had done and what God had done in the wilderness, he was telling, hold on to it tight. Hold on tight. Do not be distracted or attracted by those things that are surrounding you, these other nations and peoples who by every measure, believed and said and did the wrong things in their relationship with the true God because they were worshiping false gods in ways that were detestable to the Lord. God, as he gave the people of Israel these words through his spokesman Moses, was giving them also to you and to me. The Holy Spirit moved Moses to make record of this in the last of the five books that he wrote in the Old Testament. And so these words come to you and me as well who also are encouraged to hold on tight to that word because we live surrounded by the same temptations. We live with the same, same sinful nature. We're children of Adam and Eve just as these people of Israel were. And so sin finds its echo. It finds its, its, its sympathetic vibration within us as we see the world around us. In many cases, following false religions so labeled as they worship other gods, the people who follow those faiths. More dangerous, perhaps, are those faiths that put the name Christian and claim to be following the true God, and yet whose preaching and teaching and living is anything but what the true God expects. Those things are all around us. And in the way that human nature loves, sometimes craves to break God's law, so the temptations that faced Israel face us as well. An attempt in, a, a temptation in pride to, well, to amend the commandments. Oh, Sixth commandment, where, where God laid out clearly his expectations for relationships between men and women within marriage and outside of it. We've moved beyond, they would say, 
from these ancient texts and these ancient days. We, we know better. I can, I can adapt that to my perceptions and needs, to what society is saying around me. A disrespect for authority that's inherent in, again, human nature that finds its echoes in various ways across the popular culture. Popular culture that looks at the taking of others' possessions boldly or slyly through whatever means are available and the hurt, taking and hurting of other people's reputations as well. Just one way, one way more, I need to get ahead in this world and take care of what is mine and get what is mine. Those temptations surround us as well in a culture that's richly blessed with material goods and, and my, my, my flesh craves to have and want those pleasures and treasures, all of which, though blessings from God, if perceived incorrectly, if, if looked at in the wrong way, become temptations that take us away from, that cause us to break these words of our God. We have those temptations with us, and every one of them described here, well, fits the relationship God expects among people, but of course is a reflection of our relationship with them with the true God. Moses knew what he was talking about. He's talked to these people, and of course God's word speaks to you and me and says hold on to that, tight in the, hold on to that word tight in a time when the law has become something that people feel they can bend and twist to their own needs, and when they do that, well, the gospel doesn't really mean anything anymore. If sin is no longer sin, if sin is just choices and decisions and adaptations to times and place, well, sin no longer then needs an answer, and the gospel isn't preached clearly. Handle God's word with care. Hold on to it tight. Hold on to it tight. Yes, God's law and all that he meant, every good thing he meant in commandments 1 through 10 and expressed in other ways across Scripture, and hold on tight to the gospel, which speaks to that desperate need that's there when we look at that law and take it seriously. We see it for the mirror that it is that shows me my sins, whether in thought or word or deed, in what my mind, my mouth, my muscles, whatever it is I've done or not done in accord with God's will as he would have me serve him or live with my fellow human beings, every one of those every day, in whatever way we perceive that through the record of Scripture, reminds us that we are, by ourselves, lost, separated from a holy God. But those promises to Israel were fulfilled in our Savior Jesus. And so we see these promises unfolded in the life of Jesus across the pages of Scripture. Jesus living that law that you and I can't live you and I, by our sinful nature that causes us to fail in that law every day, Jesus living that law in accord with God's will in his relationship with his heavenly Father and all people around him perfectly for you and me. That substitute, not just as that perfect pattern we need to follow to try to live up to what God expects, not just that template for a good life, but as our substitute, living perfectly in our place, doing it for us, doing what we couldn't do, and then dying dying horribly in order to pay for the sins, meeting that law's expectation as well of the penalty for sins, doing it in the place of you and me and all the world. Hold on tight. Hold on tight. Treat that word with care that that gospel message go forth clearly, that message that is proven and demonstrated in its, in its strength by Jesus having risen from the dead. We handle God's word with care. We hold on to it tight, and we also hold it high. Moses goes on to talk to these people about something that may not always come right to mind when we think about the activity of nation Israel across those centuries, across the record of the Old Testament. Oh, there are references here and there, and we have one before us as Moses encourages the people then to be, remind, be, be mindful of the fact 
that they were like a, a beacon, a, a lighthouse in a dark world. As he said to them, for this, holding tight to the word of God, will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? The, the words described here as, as decrees and laws sum up in a few short words that long history that's laid out on across the pages, especially of the books that Moses wrote and repeated here in Deuteronomy, of all those things mentioned that reminded these people constantly of their need for a Savior, but also held high how they were to live. And that was a different thing than the nations that around them saw and experienced. And so those nations would look to Israel and say, there's something different there. They would be drawn, or at least interested, in that light. And there were aspects of that law, those decrees Moses laid out here, that anticipated that and had ritual that were part of bringing such people into the family of believers, in a sense, into the nation Israel, even if they had not descended from Israel, from Jacob, from Abraham. And there are examples on the record of Scripture of people who, some became ancestors of Jesus, Rahab the Canaanite, Ruth the Moabite, people who saw and heard the word of God through these people and came to faith in that word. Israel was to hold it high, hold that word high so that other nations would see and know the grace and the glory of God, a God who takes his law seriously, who takes salvation seriously, and they would be brought and joined to that light. We have that still with us today, that encouragement to, to hold God's word high, to say clearly that God's law is not something negotiable, something that changes or moves with the whims of culture and history, to say clearly because that law matters and God is serious about it, he is also serious in his love in Jesus, that perfect substitute in death and in life. Jesus who did all for us in order that we might have faith in the done of the gospel. That's what we hold high. And it's still happening among us as people who gather before the same God in that same faith that looked on all the facts of what was accomplished and the promises fulfilled, as we hold high God's word before the world. And it plays out in ways that have been interesting in, the, in recent years and decades, maybe particularly in this strange year and a half we're now pushing two of, of an epidemic that's gone across the world and caused people to reach out more through technology and to communicate from a distance. But even in years before that, there have been people in different parts of the world who have seen what Christians in the Wisconsin Synod hold dear and then hold high before the world and are interested, want to know more about the truth of God's Word, that that Word is still spoken and preached in, in, its, per, in, its, in its beauty and its, in its glory. And so contact is made. Could we learn more? Could you send people who will come and teach us and teach our leaders in order that they may share this word in our part of the world and among people of our culture because Jesus died for them too? And so through, again, the marvelous time we live in with the blessing of technology and with the transportation when, when that's not restricted, our little Wisconsin Synod has been able to carry this great big message forth into the world to places we had not anticipated. Indeed, needs are and questions and requests are so many and so long we can't get to them all always. And it's not unusual for Wells-called workers, staff ministers, teachers, pastors, to go into these parts of the world, even from our 
little college on the big hill here in New Ulm. It is not unusual that teacher professors will go for short time service in order to set this word of God before people because it's been held high by people who under God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, strive to hold it bright and clear and pure before the world. Yes, we handle God's word with care. We hold it high. We also want to hand it on. And Moses did too. He stood before these people, again, people who hadn't remembered Egypt for the most part, stood before these people and recognized well that history would keep moving, that time would take its toll, and soon enough there wouldn't be any of these people who had living memory of the progress into, the, into Canaan, wouldn't remember, wouldn't know, had only heard about the activity of God during that wandering in the wilderness. And so it was important, as Moses said, teach them God's law and covenant, Israel's history. Teach these things. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. It was important, Moses said, says to us, that that story be told again and again and again. And of course, the record of Scripture did that, and Israel did through its, its worship life and through spokesmen like the prophets and through the lives of the families of these people repeat these stories and point to the need for a Savior and point to the promises of Savior that was to come. And so it was that that went into the world, and in the way that we spoke of earlier, that light being held before the world, there were people who did hear this well beyond Israel, but also these people as they passed it down to their children and their children's children and the generations to follow. You and I are very much blessed to be part of God's people who still carry on that work of telling our children. Certainly it starts in the home as parents establish a routine that shows God's word to have first place in that home, whether it be through stories, books, adaptations of scripture that are right for children at whatever age they're at, certainly the routine of worship, the support given through attendance to Sunday school and later on, God willing, to Lutheran elementary school or in other ways, making worship and especially God's word a part of people's life that goes forward. And those schools then support that. And again, our setting, we're so blessed to have St. Paul's Lutheran School with St. John's Congregation in Walm, St. John's Congregation in Sleepy Eye. Parents, a congregation working together to carry out this responsibility to tell the next generation as it's been going on in our setting for over 130 years. And further blessing among us, that that activity continues as a larger group of congregations supports the work of Minnesota Valley Lutheran High School, where that same word is preached and taught, where the next generation is, again, given the, given the opportunity to give attention to this word. And yet further blessing, right here in New Ulm, that college on the hill, Martin Luther College is one of four two prep schools, that college and the seminary, one of four schools especially for training future called workers. Staff ministers, teachers, pastors. Staff ministers and teachers re receiving their final training here. The future pastors getting their college education before they move on to another four years at the seminary. What a blessing it is. And it's God's blessing, the Spirit's blessing among us that we tell our children and our children's children. And there's a long heritage of that still among us. Handle God's word with care. Hand it on. And certainly we think of the vertical generation to generation, but it continues broadly across the generation that we share. Where the schools mentioned, the congregation that we have, but we as individuals too, whether formally serving within our congregation, but also informally, talking to that neighbor across the street, or perhaps someday as a called worker, talking to that neighbor across the ocean about what our God has done, 
our need for a Savior, and the answer in Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose to assure us that things are right with our God. We handle God's Word with care, and it has to be said, handling God's Word with care almost sounds like it's something fragile. It's the kind of thing we see with a box full of dishes that gets packed for a move. We need not worry that this is somehow fragile. God's Word will not break in at least two senses of the word. God himself will never break that word, and he's promised that it will endure forever. But within our own little chapter of forever, we have opportunity to handle that word with care. Hold on to it tight, lift it high, and hand it on. Amen.